0: Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And And this this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, we have on Tyler Germain. If you don't know Tyler, you need to start following him now on Twitter at Track Coach TG, Tyler is an assistant track and field sprint and hurdles coach at Kalamazoo Central High School in Michigan. Tyler is also founder of the Virtual Speed and Performance Clinic, happening on February nineteenth and twentieth. The lineup for this clinic is insane, with my good friends Tony Holler and JT Ayers as two of the many presenters. For listeners of the Bold Base Performance Podcast, you get a discount. The clinic will cost you sixty nine dollars. $10 off the early bird pricing that ends January 17th, get signed up today. I know you'll enjoy this chat with Tyler about speed, coaching, adversity, and most of all, intent. Check out the new Athletes with Asthma course from Bold Base Performance as well before you go, but let's get on to the show right now and let's continue to grow the mind and change the system.
1: Well, so my current position is I'm an assistant coach at Kalamazoo Central High School here in Southwest Michigan. Um, I work with hurdlers and sprinters primarily, Um, but I've I've said to a couple people that right now I feel more like a hypothetical track coach than an actual track coach because um, the last time that I really actually worked with track and field athletes was almost two years ago uh, just because of where and when the pandemic hit and where um, it fell with our season. Like you know, we did off season stuff last winter. Um, and I think we ended up getting like two or three days of practice, like official track season practice before the shutdown. Um, so I I feel like it's been an eternity since I've really truly coached track and field. Um, but you know, it's, it's also given me an opportunity to connect with a lot of people and, uh, and, and talk track and talk speed and talk hurdles with, with people that I might not have otherwise had the time or the opportunity to do that. So, um, it's been a, I, I mean, I hesitate to say that it's been a positive necessarily, but it has opened some doors, um, you know, with, with the, the situation being what it is, but, um, and as of right now, uh, like normally we would have already started with our, um, with our off season stuff, uh, indoor is not, an official track and field season in Michigan. Uh, If you want to compete in indoor meets, it's a club thing. So we don't have an official indoor season, uh, but we would normally be doing stuff right now. But with everything the way that it is, um, our school district is allowing in season sports right now to, to practice and use the building and facilities. But if, but as far as out of season stuff, all we have is the hallways, you know, we don't have a beautiful indoor field house facility or anything like that. All we have is the hallways and, um, it's, you know, we're not, we're not putting 40 kids in the hallways right now. Um, you know, so, so we're not doing anything right now, sadly. Uh, And it seems like every week I'm just kind of waiting to see what's, what's going to be next, you know, like um, sports were back on. And then we had a three week period uh, leading up to winter break where um, sports were off and now they're back on. And it's like, I, you just don't know. So um, I mean, right now we're not, not doing a lot, uh, but we'll hopefully have a season uh, and hopefully be able to start working with, with athletes again soon. So I can feel like a real track coach and not a hypothetical track coach, um, and, and hope for the best, but so that's where I'm at right now. Um, prior to this, I spent two years, uh, in a little school, uh, in West Michigan, Coopersville high school. I, I taught there for two years and coached there for two years. Um, before that I was in Illinois, uh, I was at another small school down there, uh, Monticello high school, where I was the head girls track coach. Um, and, uh, that was a really great experience. Um, worked with some really good coaches and really good athletes there. Um, I coached for one year at, a at another school in Michigan, uh, since we're kind of going backwards, I'm giving the reverse timeline right now. I coached for one year in, at Benton Harbor high school. That was my first teaching gig. Uh, and, and, So I coached there for a year, but then prior to that, I actually started coaching really young. I think I was, I was 18 when I attended my first coaching clinic. Oh, wow. Um, and I guess technically 18 when I started coaching because I, my birthday's in April. So that means I turned 19 in the beginning, in the early in my first season coaching. So, uh, yeah, I started coaching young. Uh, I'm 34 years old. And if we have a season, this will be my 17th year uh, coaching track and field, uh, which is kind of wild my 17th season. That's so impressive. Um, I think a lot of coaches,
0: a lot of coaches get into coaching probably before they're ready. And then at the time you probably thought you were ready, but looking back, it's like, how did I start this when I was 18?
1: But at the time, you know, you know, know you just go
0: for it. So.
1: Yeah. I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I was asked. Um, so I, I, went to, This the high school I went to, Bay City Western High School in uh in Michigan. Um, I only actually ran track for three years. I had never I didn't do track in middle school, anything like that. But then but I was a football player and a basketball player and track coach convinced me to come out uh when I was a sophomore. Um, and I fell in love with it and I stuck around. And then when I after I graduated, uh the assistant that had been on staff that had been coaching hurdlers had moved away or whatever. And so my Head coach asked me if I would come back and work with hurdlers. Um, as a you know, 18-year-old just graduated. Hey, come coach these kids that were that you were teammates with last year. Uh and I was like, yeah, sure. Uh and I I was a volunteer. Uh I, I think at that time I was coming like three or four days a week because um, that's what worked out with my school schedule. Uh, because I was going to college locally. Um, and I think he maybe like cut me a check for five hundred bucks uh, out of out of his own pocket uh, at the end of the season, um, and then a paid position opened up the next year, and I was on staff there for six years before we went into that that timeline that I just shared in reverse. So, uh, you know, I've coached in what, how many is that? Five different programs. I think yeah, four or five, five different two, ones. Three, four, five. I've coached in five different programs with uh, you know varying levels of success, uh, and degrees of experience. And I like to think that, um, I've taken something from each program that I've been a part of and that it's kind of helped to shape, uh, where I'm at. And and what I try to do as a coach today, uh, at 34, it's funny because, you know, when you say you have 17 years or 16 years or whatever of experience, uh, Oh, did I go out? No, you're good. You're good. Keep going. Oh, when you say you have 16 or 17 years of experience, uh, it makes you sound like, a, like like an old coach, maybe. Or not, not necessarily an old coach, because some of these guys have been around for 30, 40 years. But um, in, in a lot of ways, I still feel like a young coach. You know, I still have uh, a lot of, I feel like I still have a lot to learn uh, and a lot to give. Um, and I feel fortunate that at, at the age I'm at to have the experience that I do you know, um, I just feel like what, what will I, what will I learn? And what will I know? And what will I be able to do, uh, at age 40, 45, 50, and still have time left in my coaching career, um, and all these experiences to draw from. So I feel really fortunate that I started so early, even though I didn't know what on earth I was doing. Um, and that I've had all this, this time to to continue to grow and learn and just try to keep getting better every day. That experience has to help in a season
0: and a time like this, where there's so many higher level problems going on. And because you've been around, uh, track programs for so long, you know, those lower level problems, like you've dealt with them every year, like you've solved them. And now it frees up your brain to some higher level thinking of how we're going to have track season, how we're going to keep these kids motivated, how we're going to keep them in shape how we're going to keep them, you know, happy and healthy. So I'm sure you can draw on all that experience to help you get through this time and help your program.
1: Yeah. It's going to be a unique set of challenges. I mean, I talked with our head coach, uh, I don't know, a week or so ago, and we started talking about like, do we need to, do we need to start doing like, you know, zoom workouts with kids or off or offering it at least, but you know, then there's the flip side of, you know, they spend all day, on. on Zoom, essentially, they spend all day on Google Meet or whatever right. platform um, and screen fatigue is real too like i there's days even though I sit in this chair you know all day and stare at my computer screen uh, i'm not, sometimes i'm more exhausted than if I was teaching face to face just because of that i don't know there's something something weird about it that is draining so well, you don't get that
0: emotional energy from interacting with colleagues and kids at school and, you know, seeing your other favorite teacher or seeing a couple of your favorite students or even probably just like disciplining some kids. If it's, you know, it's got to feel good to like raise your voice a little bit or like get them to fall in line. Like you're just yeah talking to a screen all
1: day. Like it's not the same. Yeah. We, we weird, all know that, but
0: it's not the same.
1: Well, there's a, and yeah, there's a weird like cognitive dissonance that happens when you are getting, um, like this is technically human interaction, right. but it's not, but it's not the same as actual human interaction. So your brain doesn't really super know what to do with it <laughs> with that uh, sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. So it's a unique set of challenges for sure. And we're just gonna have to try and figure out what is, what is the best way to, like you said, keep them happy and healthy, uh, um, with the mindset of, as of right now, we're we're planning and hoping that we're going to be able to work together face to face and have a real season here in Michigan, um, and that's the assumption that we'll operate under until we hear differently. But uh, yeah, it's going to be different. It's going to be going to have to get creative.
0: So a lot of our audience are coaches and therapists and whatnot that are about our age what advice would you give to them if they're relatively newer to, let's just say like coaching track, maybe it's like their third or fourth year coaching and they have the season where they don't even know if the season's going to happen. What in your coaching experience has helped you
1: kind of get through this time and what advice would you give to them? Well, I think, you know, going back to something that we mentioned earlier, which is that like, it is a weird time. It is an uncertain time how much time you're able to spend with your athletes uh, is probably less or limited in certain ways this, this year and the season, than maybe it would be in a typical season. Um, But that doesn't mean that all is lost. Uh, It opens up a different opportunity, right? So um, I've been able to read more uh, on coaching. I've been able to read more on leadership uh, than maybe I would have time for in other, in other seasons, Um, I've been able to do things like this and talk with coaches, um, from all over the country that I would not normally have access to. Uh, I've had time to attend, uh, some, some webinars and some clinics that I wouldn't necessarily always have time for. So, um, you know, it's, it's corny in a way that to say like when one door closes, another one opens. But, um, I think that you kind of have to have that mindset a little bit, like, uh, obviously the ideal scenario is we work with our athletes every day, you know, five days a week or six days a week or whatever. Um, and, and we have a regular track season, uh, but nothing's ideal and nothing's perfect right now. So, um, what can we as coaches continue to do, uh, or, or start to do, um, that maybe we didn't do before or didn't have time for before that, um, can put us in a position to be, uh, better coaches when we do get that chance because this isn't forever you know it's sometimes it's hard sometimes it's hard not to feel that way uh and not to feel like because you know we're approaching a year at this point it was March 13th when we were was the last time that I was in school in person with students so Mm -hmm. and and it's January 13th today so uh it feels like it's been going on forever and sometimes it's hard to feel like things are going to be different but um but we, we know that they will be right. We know that at some point things will return to, uh, something a little bit more close to what we're used to. And so I just really would, would recommend, you know, making connections with people that you might not otherwise have the opportunity to reading things you might not otherwise have time for, um, and, and finding different ways to grow. Um, I would normally get to go to like one clinic a year and I've, I've attended, you know, a, a bunch of webinars and right. uh, and virtual clinics and mm-hmm. done, done calls uh, with, with lots of coaches. So um, just have to, it seems like be creative is the theme, but get creative with, uh, with your coaching, get creative with your learning and figure out what are, what are the ways that I can make the most out of a otherwise pretty, you know, bummer of a situation.
0: Right. The unique thing with 2021 is everyone's going through the same thing. Some people have it worse, like out in California, it seems like it's a lot worse. Uh, Some people have more access to their athletes, so they have it a little bit better, but we're all kind of going through the same struggle and you can feel bad for yourself. Some days you can feel sorry for yourself, but you can also see it as everyone else is going through this. What can I do to get ahead or to make mm-hmm. the best of a situation and it sounds like you're doing that with your clinics, with trying to do the best things for your athletes, with communicating with other coaches. And, and that's what you need to do. And the other thing is it comes to expectations. If you've got a half hour with all of your athletes on the track right now, it'd probably be like the best part of your week. Whereas in a normal track season, if someone said, Hey, you only get 30 minutes with these kids, you'd probably be like, well, where's my time? You know, like, it, the expectations of what you get and versus what you, you know, you don't have, it really makes a difference in how you approach the situation. But it sounds like you're handling that very well with, uh, all the different clinics you've gone to and interacting with people on Twitter, social media. And I know you've been on other podcasts, so I really applaud you for that because every coach I've talked to, they're really struggling in this day and age. Yeah.
1: And I hope that, um, you know, like you said, 30, 30 minutes on the track right now would be great. And I hope that we remember that when we do get that time, like right. as coaches and as athletes, like not, not to take anything for granted. Right. Because, uh, you know, we had seniors last year and I'm not unique. This is not anything that's news to anybody, but we had seniors last year who had their senior season, you know, pulled right out from underneath them. Yeah. Um, and everybody wants to focus on the seniors and rightfully so, but like what about that sophomore who just lost a year of development, you know, uh right. or or whatever. So um, you know, things can things can change at a moment's notice. And uh I hope that when we do go back, that both as coaches and as athletes, we say, you know what, like this isn't this isn't guaranteed. Um and so you gotta make the most of it when you have it. And the other thing too that you mentioned about like, you know, like yeah it, it we can feel sorry for ourselves or we all have bad days, right? Like being positive uh, isn't, doesn't mean that you are like sort of faking, putting it, putting on a good mood all the time. Right. But it is is having optimism that, you know, it will be different or it will be better at some point. Um, I, you know, I, yeah, I I think that there's such a thing as, um, almost toxic, toxic positivity where people put on this like fake and they don't acknowledge that, the, some of the feelings that they might be having. I think you have to acknowledge those things, um, sit with them for, for a a bit and think about them and then say, okay, now what can I do right now?
0: Come back to the present and focus on what can you do? Maybe you can take the time to to plan out that first week of track, just assuming, Hey, in two months, like things are going to be different. Maybe we'll have a season. If we have a season, I'm going to be ready. And that can be a form of positivity or optimism is planning something down the road in anticipation that it will be there. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to go on social media, be like, this is the best day ever. Like I'm so glad and thankful. Like you can just do something proactive down the road. So when the situation changes, you're ready for it and you're ready to go and you're ready to give to your team and, and whatnot. So let's, so let's just pretend that you're going to have a season. What things have you learned over this last 10 month stretch? that you're excited to implement with your team, spring 2021? Um,
1: so I, I guess the main thing for me is that I, I'm really ready to go, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, I'm, I'm really ready to go like all the way in on a, a f- sort of feed the cats type approach to sprint training. Um, and I've done, you know, I'm, I'm in a unique position where I'm an assistant in our program, Um, and, uh, my philosophy of, of coaching is actually quite different than, um, the head coach and some of the other coaches on staff. So it's sort of a, uh, sort of an interesting dynamic where I'm always, I'm, I found myself last year, you know, in the off season, uh, and preseason pushing for less in terms of volume, um, but more in terms of intensity, um, and, uh and being met with resistance to that, um, to that idea. Cause it wasn't, uh, necessarily, you know, the same philosophy that some of our other coaches have, but, um, th- this is where I talk about being a hypothetical track coach. Like i was introduced to, uh, feed the cats a couple of years ago, uh, at a clinic, um, where I got to, to see Tony speak and then, uh, and then got a chance to talk with him as well afterwards. Um, and that was a few, I forget what year it was a few years ago, a couple, a few years ago. And I started kind of like putting a little, trying to like inject a little bit of that into our, into our training, but I was, you know, still relatively new to our program at that time. and didn't want to step on too many toes. Right. And then last year, uh, last year I kind of took over our winter training and I was like, we were fully doing feed the cats uh, with our winter t- training um, and then, but once it was time to go back outside uh, for, for the season, um, there was more pushback to that. Uh, and then our season got canceled. And so now I'm like, uh, you know, I, I'm i so, I'm so ready. Cause I feel like this has been on my mind, um, for so long. And I've been kind of slowly trying to get little bits of it into our program that, um, I'm just really chomping at the bit to, to go nuts with it, uh, and go all in. Um, maybe it's an optimistic view or, or, or overly hopeful view. Cause I, I, doubt that the resistance to that is going to go away necessarily. Um, but I feel, uh, I feel really confident in it. Um, because of what I've, what I have been able to do, you know, last winter when I took over the, 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 uh, programming for our indoor stuff, you know, we saw kids getting faster. We saw kids getting excited to be at off season workouts uh, we saw, I saw kids showing up outside my classroom door in the morning to see their times posted from the day before. Um, and you know, they, they weren't, they weren't beat up. They weren't run down. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and when you can get enthusiasm out of kids and excitement out of kids, they tend to put more into their training and it becomes, you know, sort of a snowball effect. Um, and then I had an opportunity over the summer in one of the periods where we were on for sports, right. uh, to work with our football team, um, and do the same thing. So I did, I did speed training with our football team. Um, and you know, we were doing a, a feed the cats approach. We were timing sprints. We were, uh, you know, we weren't, I wasn't running them into the ground cause I wasn't there to condition them and I'm not a football coach. So I don't <laughs> like, uh, I don't have any ulterior motives, uh, I simply speed focus and same thing, you know, like these kids and especially those football players, those running backs, wide receivers, DBs, like they, they crave that stuff. They want to go fast. They want to compete. They want to be explosive. Um, and I gave them an outlet and an opportunity to do that, um, beyond just like running gassers. So, uh, and then for myself, you know, I started, I started basically doing a feed the cats type training for myself. Uh, I got a free lap system over the summer. Uh, and I started getting back into sprinting, uh, and I've seen positive results. So I've had these moments where, um, I've seen how it can work, uh, when it's implemented. Um, I've seen the enthusiasm, and the excitement that comes from athletes when they, when they're in a program like that, uh, I've, I've, i know how I feel, uh, in, in my own training. Uh, and so I think that's like the number one thing for me that I would be most excited about is, um, to really change the way that we do sprint training in our program.
0: No, I have a good friend, uh, shout out Zach Robley, who's in a similar position like you, where he's an assistant football coach and an assistant track coach. And he's, he's younger than we are. And he's just trying to, you know, implement his thoughts and his systems and whatnot to those programs. And it does take some time. You have to, it's really hard to show them like the system works without, like having the results like back it. You have other people's results, but you don't have your own. Right. And, you know, a big part of that is like, can you take over something simple like the warm up? Change the warm up, make it awesome. Like kids like it better. Like they're let you know there's less injuries. Like it goes quicker. They have better times, and then like you gain that trust to take over the sprint training during the season. And I know you have those thoughts and ideas and strategies in your head, but no, once you learn about feed the cats and the system and just like the philosophies behind it and you start figuring out how do I apply to this, my program, it's really hard not to just like dive all in and do it all at once because it does sound so much better. It does sound so much better for the coaches, for the athletes, for the whole system in general. So I'm glad you have that passion and fire to, to get that going
1: this year. And I really hope you guys have a track season. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. And I used, you use the word philosophy, right? And I think that that's a, that's an important distinction that, gets lost, uh, on social media is that, you know, feed the cats isn't necessarily, uh, a set of workouts, right. Right, Correct. It can be. And and it is a, I mean, it is a program, so to speak, but more than that, I think it's a philosophy of training, right. It's a, it's a mindset of like, it's not, I have to do this workout on this day and in this order and we can only do this or we can't ever do that. It's just more of a a philosophy that goes into the training, uh, and, and the programming, um, with a certain set of outcomes that you're trying to get. Um, and it does become difficult when you have that sort of that shift in mindset and shift in philosophy to then see something that, uh, that doesn't fit and be okay with it. Um, which isn't to say that I'm like going to going toe to toe with my colleagues, right? Because I also respect them and I respect their experience. You know, uh, they've been around for a long time. They have a lot more experience than I, than I have, um, and with different, uh, and in different places and and all that kind of stuff, right. Everybody brings their own perspective to, to the game, but, um, you know, when you start to ask questions, uh, the why behind a certain workout or the why behind a certain uh, way of programming and, um, the response is, well, this is just kind of how we have always done it. That's hard to. To stomach or if there's or if there's no justification whatsoever, right? Um that can be tough. Uh and luckily, you know, luckily the coaches that I work with directly don't typically give those kind of cop out responses. But you right. know, like when I ask coaches in other sports, for example, you know, what they do and why they do it, um, or at other schools or or wherever, sometimes the answers that you get aren't really well thought out. Um and so I think knowing why you're doing something obviously matters uh, a lot. Uh, and if, and if the reason you're doing it is because that's how you've always done it, then that tells me that you haven't really reflected on that or, or thought about it much more, you know, it's almost on autopilot. Um, and I don't think we can be on autopilot. You know, I, we've all, I, I've done stuff that I would never do again because I've thought about it and I've reflected on it and I've decided, you know what, maybe I thought that was a good idea at the time. um, But now I don't know if it is such a good idea. So I think we have to be willing to question others and we have to be willing to question ourselves too. It goes back
0: to the saying, you can't get better at pushups by reading about pushups. You have to go out and do them. You can't get better at coaching by always just like sitting back and like watching other people coach and like listening, like all that stuff supplements then day, like you have to go out and coach. And 10 years from now, you're probably doing things today that you probably won't do again. But that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you develop. That's how you weed out the things that aren't important or aren't necessary. And you have to kind of go through that trial by fire. And you went through it at 18 years old, which is just, it's incredible that you took that time and energy and effort to set up, you know, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, the rest of your life by dedicating that time to, to track, to coaching, to learning, to thinking about things a different way. Because the first time you hear, Hey, instead of 10 hundreds, we're going to do three time forties and we're going to be done for the day. It's kind of like, there's no way those two can be even like equal, much less a new way be superior. But the, the thing that always comes back to me, let's just say those two workouts were the exact same 10, one hundreds untimed versus three forties timed and the kids going to run the same time in three weeks, no matter what he did in that workout. 99% of kids are going to want to do the three forties time. It's shorter, it's higher intensity and you get feedback on how you're doing that timing Mm -hmm. aspect is just absolutely critical. And with you, you know, investing in a free lap, I'm sure you've seen that in your own workouts. Like you try harder, you care more, you want to get better more because you're getting
1: that feedback from the timing. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you said 99% of kids are going to want to do that workout versus the 10 hundreds or whatever, like, I honestly think that one of the most powerful components of feed the cats is, is that it's a recruiting tool. Um, you know, say what I, I don't really have negative things to say about it. Uh, but you know, there's some people that aren't, aren't bought in or, or question it and don't, you know, don't care for it or whatever, for the, for whatever reasons, but, um, take, set the programming aside. Uh, and I think that, that the most powerful tool or, or whatever, the most powerful aspect or component of feed the cats is it's recruiting tool because kids will want to do it right. You start to, and I'm not, hopefully I'm, if Tony's listening to this, hopefully I'm speaking, uh, uh, speaking in an informed way, but I think that, you know, you start to see kids want to be a part of it. Whereas in a program that is really um, you know, high volume, not super high intensity. You have a hard time attracting the kind of kids that you want. Uh, when I worked with the football team over the summer, only one of those kids was on the track team. Um, and I'm looking at, you know, running backs, wide receivers, DBs, uh, the types of kids that you want on your track team. Um, because typically they're, you know, kids that can dunk, you know, those are the, those are the athletes in your school. You want those kids on your track team, but they don't want to come out. Um, and, and that's, that's tough. So I think that's where it becomes really powerful is when you can say, Hey, this is how we do things. Um, and here's why it might appeal to you and the type of athlete that you are, uh, and start getting those kids out. And then, you know, word of mouth spreads, uh, and you start getting more and more, um, and your track team gets better just because you're getting better athletes out in the first place.
0: Exactly. So and that might be the kids buying into the program might honestly be the difference between you going to state and not going to state between you winning a meet and not winning a meet between you helping a kid graduate high school because they're so invested in track that they want to do well in school. And I've seen this, I've seen this in track programs. I've seen this in successful programs. I've seen it in unsuccessful programs where The kids buy in, they sleep a little better. They take care of their schoolwork. They volunteer to do like a third or fourth event at a meet. Whereas in other unsuccessful programs, I've seen this too. The kid wants to run the hundred and go home. And it's Mm -hmm. like, this isn't helping our program. Kid's probably not bought in. He's out there for himself. He doesn't seem, see like the team aspect, the big picture. And it makes a huge difference. And if it's something as simple as, hey, you know, in the winter, we're going to time you guys two to three times a week. Like I'm going to write them down, like we'll track or we'll record and I'll give you, you know, feedback and we're going to take care of you. Then it's absolutely worth it. And so glad coaches like you are out there doing that. And
1: so glad for the athletes. Yeah, it's been fun to see. And, you know, I think you mentioned the off season too. I think that sometimes we, um, in, in debates that I've seen or whatever on social media that, uh, conflating a feed the cats off season with a feed the cats in season, you know? Cause I think that there are some misconceptions out there that like, Oh, they only ever run 40 yards or they only this, or, you know? Um, but that's off season, you know, like when, for me, when I think about that, my off season, I'm not worried about conditioning. I'm not worried even about speed endurance or anything like that in the off season, because once the track season starts and once meets start, especially you have a very limited opportunity to actually increase top speed for kids. You know, Matt, you're not getting a lot of max velocity work in once meets start and you're running two or three meets a week. So that off season is where it's strictly, you know, your max max velocity, your X factor type stuff. Um, but, it to act like, you know, if you're in a feed the cats program, you don't ever run more than 40 yards or you don't ever do anything that's hard or whatever. Like that's just ridiculous. Um, and it's, it's, it's just, it's just not, it's not the case. It's ridiculous. It's, you know, you haven't you're basing your perspective off of something maybe that you heard instead of kind of digging a little deeper on your own and finding out what it's all about. So, um, I think that it's important to kind of differentiate between what is an off season lookout and what is the purpose of your off season, uh, or preseason versus your in season. And for me, um, kids will get quote unquote in shape. They'll build speed, speed endurance and speed reserve and all that kind of stuff, uh, in season by competing in meets by sprinting farther in practice. Uh, and, and when I really need them to be at their top is, you know, in our conference meet, in our regional meet and, and for the state meet. Um, so we have time in other words, to get them to that point. Uh, I don't need them to go do like a 15 minute jog in the hallways in January. If they're sprinters, right. Like that, what, what purpose does that serve? Um, so I think you get ready to sprint by sprinting. Uh, I think that you cause speed adaptations by Sprinting. <laughs> uh and you know, you can't it's like you said, uh it, it pertains, you know, or it connects to the thing you said about coaching. You don't get better at coaching by reading about coaching. Well, you don't get better at sprinting by not sprinting, right? You know, you don't get faster by jogging for 15 minutes in the hallway. Um, you know, so off season for me is all about top, you know top speed, trying to get kids faster, recognizing that once the season starts and we're competing two or three times a week, you know, their, their bodies are not going to be able to recover fast enough to continue to get a lot faster during the season. One thing that I really like
0: about the philosophies of Feed the Cats is you can apply it to so many different areas of your life outside of sports. For example, like for this podcast, I can have you on this week and I can have, like one or two other people. And I can take the time to research, you know, what are you about? Like, what's your coaching history? Like do you have any resources out and then bring my energy and like that intensity really bring it for the hour that we're talking, or I can do 10 podcasts this week and half of them aren't very good. And half of them, you know, the microphone's not working or like the there's noise in the background. And it's just like more, like more is not always better. Like better is better. So if you can increase the quality, and like change the quantity based on like keeping that quality high and that's what sprinting is like if you could sprint every single day and do like six to eight reps and have it near 100 percent, then great but like the human body isn't designed for that the way we've developed right now so it's like can we do it two to three times a week can we time them is it three to four sprints whatever it might be and also just like applying those principles those philosophies into your program to improve your program because that's the end of the day you want your program to get better it doesn't really matter how you do it but thinking of what philosophies fit with my you know personal view on it and the results i can get with my kids and let's go with it and see what happens i'm really excited i really hope you guys have a season because i'm really excited to see what you can do with
1: your athletes i think that um you, you, you're right. You said it carries, it can carry over that philosophy can carry over to other aspects of your life. And I think I was really like, uh, the, the exact target audience for a feed the cats presentation, because I've often said that, um, I'm not necessarily great at time management, but I am pretty good at, (laughs) but I am pretty good at effort management. Okay. Um, And I've said this all the way back to like my college days. Like I'm not great at time management, but I am pretty good at effort management. In other words, I know what things require me to go hard on and what things I don't necessarily have to go as hard on. Right. Um, And setting my priorities that way. Uh, I even had a professor one time. She, this is sort of weird. Uh, I had a professor who was speaking to another professor uh, about me as a student, which was strange, but she said something along the lines of, Oh, Tyler, he would, he could be so uh, he he could be so great if he would try a little harder or something like that. Um, and the, the other professor responded and I, this was priceless. She shared this with me. She said, you know, I think Tyler is really good at knowing what deserves his effort and what doesn't. <laughs> and which was a, which was a way of saying uh, like, maybe everything that you do isn't essential as as his instructor and as his professor. And maybe he has figured that out. And that was exactly how I felt about that that particular class. Like this is a lot of busy work that doesn't actually have a lot of value for me. Um, And so I was concentrating my effort on the things that I felt had the most value to me. Um, And even as a teacher, you know, I teach honors level and AP courses uh, and there's another AP teacher um, in my school uh where we both teach the same AP class AP AP Lang AP English language and composition we teach um and i hear stories all the time from uh students who have my colleague who i who i like a lot and i respect and i'm going to have a call with her later to talk about some AP stuff but they have mountains and mountains of homework and they spend hours and hours a day uh on assignments for her class um and i almost never assign homework in my AP classes Uh, I just try to make the most value that I can in the time that I have. And that's not, I'm not saying never, sometimes stuff has to be done outside of class, but never do, I will say, never do my kids go home with hours and hours of homework, uh, uh, on the regular. Um, and ultimately our kids score about the same on the AP test. So, uh, you know, it's, it's something that, like I said, when I, when I heard this as a philosophy of track and field and of speed training. I'm like, Oh yeah, that fits my MO uh, <laughs> For of, sure. of what is, um, what, what is the priority? Right. And you can't have a bunch of priorities because that's not what that word means. Uh, what is my priority? Um, what gives me the best chance at the best outcomes in, in meeting those priorities or that priority? Um, and I jokingly, but only kind of jokingly say, what is the least I can do and still be great? Um, I don't want to, as a teacher, I'm not, what is not, what is the least I can do? Cause then right. I'm just, That's being wrong. La- yep. Yep. cause then I'm just being lazy, mm-hmm. but what is the least I can do and still be great and still do a good job for my students and still provide value to them um, and get rid of the, get rid of the crap, you know, get rid of the non-essential stuff that, Uh, is providing that's busy work that's providing little value um and then you're you're totally right it applies across so many different areas of life where we mistake uh activity for achievement Mm -hmm. where we think if we're not busy all the time that we're not productive um but really then you're you know ants and an ant farm are busy too you know like
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like that i might steal that from you
1: So, yeah, I, I I just think, you know, you have to set priorities. You have to know where you're going to get the most bang for your buck and you have to attack those things. And coming back to track, it's a short season in Michigan, especially it's a short season with no, with no indoor season uh, and very little warm weather. um, We don't have a lot of time. So where am I going to get the most bang for my buck? And my personal feeling is that with sprinters and hurdlers, The most bang for my buck does not come, uh, from a workout of, you know, 10 by 400, uh, at 75%, where in reality, maybe the first two are 75% and the rest of them are, you know, they're just barely hanging on and trying to get through. That's not the most bang for my buck. So, um, so I wouldn't do it. The effort you get from your kids in
0: these workouts just has to exponentially increase because there's not... Ten opportunities to showcase yourself. It might be, hey, like we have three big meets before kind of postseason starts. Like, you're you're going to be more rested. You're going to have these opportunities, and like you better show up because you don't have 25 meets to get everything, you know, everything. And you have a couple big ones because those are your priority, you know. This, you know, X, Y, Z, and it just really helps focus the energy of high school athletes who need that focus because there's so many distractions. There's so many different things pulling at them and some of them are really fun. Some of them are work, some of them are unnecessary, but if you as a track coach can say, Hey, this is our priority, this is what we're trying to get out of this season and you get to, you get the buy-in better because of your philosophies, your programs and things like that, it just has to be a better overall experience
1: for everyone involved. Well, we're always as coaches trying to drive intent, right? We're always trying to drive effort from our, from our athletes. And, you know, I've heard coaches grumble and I've grumbled, you know, and, and grumbled with colleagues, uh, about man, if that kid would just like, he just doesn't give a good effort, you know? And it's like, does your programming, um, facilitate the type of intent and effort that you want, uh, and it's really hard for anybody to give a, a maximal or ideal level of intent or effort. If the workout that you've constructed is such that they're going to be ragged mm-hmm. and they're not even halfway through it. Right. You know, it's like, of course they're, it, or of course the the effort isn't there, or at least the evidence of the effort isn't there because they're slow or whatever. Um, of course it is because they're worn out. They're exhausted. Like, so if maximum intent and effort is what we want out of the athletes, because we know when the intent is high, so are the outcomes, uh, then we have to program in a way that, that facilitates that maximum intent. So, uh, you know, this was totally news to f- my football players that I worked with over the summer, by the way, um, who, you know, who thought that they were coming to me for conditioning and that uh, we were just going to run and run and run. And like, we're not like, we're going to warm up. I don't call it warm warmups, but you know, we're going to, we're going to do some drills, we're going to get ready to sprint and then we're going to sprint, you know, th- two, three times, uh, and we're going to rest a lot and then we're going to be done and they're like, well, wait, what I was like, well, and then I started to explain it to him. Like, look, I, I'm working as your speed coach. Right. Yeah. You know, so everything we do has to be fast. It doesn't do me any good for you guys to be running around slow. So if I want you to be fast, I need you to be rested and you might feel like, you know, you just did a a 40 and you might feel after, you know, a minute or two that you have your breath and you have your legs uh, and you're ready to go again, but I need you to rest longer than that. And here's, and here's the reasons why, right. Uh, it takes this long for, um, you know, for that ATP C, uh, creatine phosphate sort of energy system, right. To sort of restore itself and be ready to go again. It's not just like, okay, I got my breath back. It's like, okay, there's a lot of other stuff going on in your body too. That, that needs to sort of recharge to do this again. And for you to be fast again, because it doesn't do me any good for one of your reps to be fast and the rest of them would be slow if I'm your speed coach. Right. So yeah, uh, it's, and, and it started to click for some of them too, which was really cool. And then that became the best part of, uh, for some of them, probably not for all of them, but for some of them, uh, who really crave that sort of, um, that sort of work, uh, you know, became enjoyable to them. Um, because I saw that I wasn't there to, uh, I wasn't there to condition them. I wasn't there to be a disciplinarian. Uh, I was simply there to, you know, teach them some sprinting mechanics,
0: hopefully. Since we are talking about speed coaching, I know you have this clinic coming up. I want you to talk about that kind of wrap up the podcast talking about your speed, your virtual speed and performance clinic that you put together. You have some amazing coaches on their roster coming up in February. Give me all the details on that, where coaches can sign up. We'll have all that on the show notes, but just talk about the clinic for a little bit here and and get people to know about and get excited.
1: Yeah. So this kind of, uh, going back to something we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, which is like, you know, we're faced with this weird challenge set of challenges with COVID, uh, and I wasn't sure like normally in the end of January or in February would be our state track and field clinic, um, that I would go to, you know, and I wasn't sure if that was going to happen this year. And I was kind of sitting there feeling like bummed, like, Oh man, I'm not going to get to go to the MICA clinic this year. Um, turns out they are going to do a virtual one. I just found out about it a week or two ago, but, Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't sure it was up in the air. I was like, man, I'm really going to be disappointed if I don't get to go to a, a track clinic in the spring. So like, well, what if I just put a clinic on instead? <laughs> like, uh, if it doesn't exist, build it. Um, and so that's what I decided to do. And so I, I put together the, uh, it's called the virtual speed and performance clinic. Uh, and I wanted it to provide value to coaches beyond just track and field. So I brought in some coaches from some different, uh, different backgrounds. So, um, there are track and field coaches, of course, uh, you know, our, our lineup, um, you know, Tony Holler, I'm very excited that Tony Holler is going to be speaking, uh, at the clinic, uh, JT Ayers, uh, who is phenomenal, um, is going to be speaking, uh, Rob, CC, uh, from Homewood Flossmore, excellent jump sprints and jumps coach, Ryan Vanta, um, as, uh, who's also excellent author of the sprinters compendium and had track and field coach at, for the girls at Parkway central. So there are some track people who know a thing or two about speed, um, but I wanted to, like I said, provide value to coaches who um, either, co- who, who might not coach track and field at all, or like, you know, at the high school level, a lot of coaches coach multiple sports. I like I coached basketball before. Like I said, I work with, I work with a football player. So a lot of high school coaches coach multiple sports. So I wanted there to be value across the board. So, so I've got some other people on board as well. Uh, Keith Ferrara, who's the head strength and conditioning coach at Adelphi University out in New York. Um, and he is, uh, he oversees 21 different teams, uh, at that university and their programming for, for strength and conditioning. Um, he's going to be talking about, uh, the work that he's done with their basketball program. Um, we've got Kyle Edwards, who's, uh, a sprint coach, but also a football and defensive backs coach, uh, in Mishawaka, Indiana, who's going to be talking about some X factor stuff, uh, for both track and football. We've got Jerry DiFilippo who uh, hosts another awesome podcast uh, called the Muscles and Management Podcast. And he has a private facility in New Jersey where he trains, um, he trains private athletes, but he also works with baseball players and hockey players. Uh, And then I've got um, Matt Tallarico who is uh, the base running coordinator for the New York Yankees um, and author of a book called the Complete Base Stealing Manual. And he's going to be talking about, uh, running as it pertains to baseball um, and kind of rethinking what that should look like from a training perspective and also kind of their approach to uh, both on the offensive end and the defensive end, why, why sprinting and speed and explosiveness uh, matters. And I'm super excited for that. Cause I'm actually, I'm actually a huge baseball fan uh, and you know, my brother's a baseball coach and I, I watched him play baseball at the high school and college level. And uh, I learned a lot about baseball from, from just talking with him. Um, but super excited that Matt is on board, uh, to talk about, uh, base stealing, um, and speed and how they, how they program speed in the, in the Yankees organization. Um, I get excited when I see fast baseball players, like, I don't know if you're a baseball fan time, are you, or not really? Um, I wouldn't, I, you know, I'm not going to lie and say like, I'm the biggest
0: baseball fan. I do. I do like being around people who really enjoy baseball because they teach me a lot. They like keep me up to date. Uh, football and basketball are definitely my passions. Track is right up there too. So baseball kind of falls in that second tier with with hockey and golf and you know some of those other sports. But no, watching watching fast baseball. We've had a couple of fast twins over the years, Carlos Gomez and a couple of other different ones. But
1: it's really fun watching them, either in the outfield or on the bases move. Well, and those, like, you know, the game is kind of changing in interesting ways right now. Uh, and some of the, the young and exciting players, like a Fernando Tatis Jr., like, oh, my God, yeah, like watching mm-hmm. him is, is ridiculous. And actually, Jerry DeFilippo, who is going to be on the, uh, the clinic, had posted a video of him a while back where he was uh, – there was a fly ball to the outfield, and Tatis was on third, getting ready to tag up to go home. And he literally got into a, a, a three-point sprinter's position – so oh, wow. that he, so that he could take off the second, the ball was caught in the outfield. And it was, it was a thing of beauty. Like I almost died right then and there it was <laughs> like to see those worlds coming together. But yeah, anyway, to get back to the clinic, um, I think it's going to be awesome. It's all things, speed, performance, and explosiveness uh, and should be valuable to all coaches, whether no matter what sport they coach, because I think the principles that you're going to hear from the track and field coaches can be applied across the board when it comes to uh, to fostering speed development, but then we're going to get a little bit specific with you know coaches who work with baseball players, coaches who work with football players, coaches who work with basketball players, and and Keith who who works with athletes from 21 different teams at his university. And so um, I think that no matter what sport you coach, you'll find something valuable there. Um, and I'm even I've even kind of set it up where. Offering some group pricing, uh, so that if you want to bring your whole track and field staff, you can. Or if you want to bring uh, you know, from your school yourself as the track coach and maybe your are ba- the baseball coach and maybe the basketball coach, and you guys all want to sign up together, um, offering some some different rates there too. So um, you know, we can talk about, I don't know if you want to talk about pricing and all that kind of stuff, but the main thing for me is just uh I, I really wanted. To, I really wanted to provide something that would be valuable to anybody, no matter what sport they coach, and I, I think that um, this lineup really is going to do that. I'm really excited for this clinic. I'm really excited for
0: everyone who's going to attend. Um, there's just there's so many different ways to learn in a virtual clinic like this. Getting all those different minds and coaches and experiences together is going to be absolutely phenomenal for anyone. Uh, who wants to attend. So that information will be in the show notes. I'll be posting about it on social media. Tyler, thank you so much for hopping on the Bold Base Performance Podcast. It was a pleasure and honor talking to you. I'm excited for your clinic. I'm excited for you to have a track season. I'm going to speak it into existence, put it out in the universe. You guys will have a track season to some degree this year. I really hope for that. And uh, thanks again for jumping
1: on the pod. Thanks, Tom. man. Appreciate your time.